My name is Adam, and I am evolving. everyone welcome back to the evolving adam podcast i'm really excited that you guys are here listening uh first before i start i want to give a shout to some of the people that have been downloading and listening to these i from what i can tell i have probably 10 to 15 of you that have been listening consistently and i just can't tell you how much i appreciate that um i i just wanted kind of one person to to do it and i thought i'd be successful if if just one person would listen to these but uh there's more of you and i think that's really neat and it doesn't sound like a lot of numbers but it really it matters to me and i just really really appreciate that um and i know that there's someone in the san francisco bay area from what i can tell from the metrics that listen to all the episodes and whoever you are i just really appreciate you and uh hope you're enjoying this content uh for everyone else if you uh don't forget to uh follow us on twitter at evolving adam pod um, you can reach out to me there and talk to me, tweet, discuss, give me feedback, whatever you want to do. And also we have a Patreon page. Just go to patreon.com slash evolving Adam. So you can head there. That's where you can support us financially and help us do some upgrades and, uh, maybe make some improvements to the show. That'd be really great. But enough about that. Let's get into our actual episode today, which I think is a really, really interesting and, um, Tough topic, which, you know, we love here on Evolve Adam Adam Podcast. That's kind of all we do so far, uh, is these really tough topics. And um, this is one that I have really, really had to grapple with a lot over the last four or five years, and I've really changed my views on quite a bit. And uh, it's the, the LGBTQ community, uh, how they are viewed in the world and how they are treated by different members of our society and things like that. Uh, that's kind of what we're going to get into. And one of those people who really, really influenced me in my life and got me to, he would ask me a lot of different questions and really get me to think about things was my friend Kelvin, who we've had on before when we talked about uh, conservatism and politics and things like that. So I've asked him to come back today to talk a little bit about this topic as it relates to him and, and his life. So... Without further ado, Kelvin's here. Hi, everyone. If you guys remember, he's now the first returning guest on the Evolving Adam podcast. This is a... It's a big honor. This is big. This is huge. So Kelvin was one of the people who was really, really influential in my life, and that kind of started back when I moved out here to Phoenix, and I lived at his house, and I think we talked about it a little bit in the previous podcast, but his family was very, very generous in allowing me to live there while I was looking for a place to stay permanently and um, really got to know Kelvin a lot better there and get to know who he was and, and really a lot about him that would really lay the groundwork for our friendship over the last seven or eight years, which has been one of my most cherished. And uh, I just really, really appreciate him speaking into my life and challenging me and doing those kind of things. Um, so that's a little bit about our history. I mean, do you have any comments on that? No, I think you pretty much covered it all there. <laughs> okay. Um, the LGBTQ community, my upbringing, as you can imagine, very, very, as we've talked a lot already on these on these shows, are um, very, very conservative, very much the, the, you know, gay people, bisexual, transgender people, there's either a mental issue there or this is something that is not really who they are. This is something that... You know, something happened to them and now they have this warped understanding of sexuality or and we need to find a way to f fix them of these things or or heal them or put, put them through therapy or whatever we got to do to get them back to the, quote, normal terms of sexuality or the normal relationships and stuff like that. So that was very much where I came from. And. I really didn't know any that was. I just always thought that's the way it was, and that that's kind of how everybody was. And then, then I encounter people who come and say, "No, well, no, these people are. Um, this is how they are. This is how they're born. This is how they naturally are are feeling and are attracted to the same sex, and that's okay." And to me, that was like a a huge like barrier that I that that I encountered 
with my upbringing. And I saw that as those people who were celebrating, quote, sin or celebrating these anomalies and celebrating the the very small minority of people. And it took me a long time and a lot of research to start to look into the statistics and how mu- how many people there are, as opposed to this. Very, I think a lot of people want you to think it's a very small group of people, when in reality, it's actually a whole lot larger than we'd expect. But talk a little bit about your upbringing and... If, I'm assuming it was probably pretty similar, but maybe some of the things that you remember from growing up and, and hearing about this kind of topic. Yeah, well, kind of growing up in my house, um, I think I alluded to it in the previous podcast, but my parents are not very ideological people when it comes to politics. And kind of going along with that, while they definitely are deeply like religious people and people who are very grounded in their faith. Um, I wouldn't say they really were pushing cultural conservatism upon us. Like, um, gay and queer issues, like, those were never really discussed in my house. My parents never, I don't ever remember them bringing up gay marriage or gay rights or anything along those lines. I don't really remember them saying anything disparaging about the community it just wasn't really it wasn't really something that was talked about or something that was really even ever thought about uh, i would say every once in a while if there was a discussion then maybe issues of like gay marriage would come up i remember california had proposition eight for a while and being the conservative that i was at the time uh, i supported that and i think there was probably like a discussion or two about that, but um, other than that, th- yeah, it wasn't really something that was discussed much in my household. What was Prop 8? It was the California ballot initiative to define marriages between a man and a woman, so it would right. basically outlaw uh, same-sex marriage. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that, you know, thinking about my, my upbringing too, I mean, as I just said earlier, it was very conservative and all that, but... I guess we didn't really discuss it much either. It almost was like a non-topic. It was like, this is not something you really even talk about because it's yeah. like, like this isn't a thing. This is just something that some people are having to deal with. And it's not something that that we should have to deal with as Christians or as conservatives. Like it, back then in the 90s, it, I don't know, for at least for my family, there wasn't, we didn't really talk about it because it almost was like a non-issue to us, I guess. Yeah. And thinking back a little bit, my dad's sister, who is uh, deceased now, she died of breast cancer back in the early 2000s. Uh, her husband at the time, uh, her husband's brother, was actually uh, gay, and he had a partner. And I remember spending a little bit of time uh, around them at like some family gatherings mm-hmm. and things. And so I think that maybe in a way that kind of either like exposed or maybe like primed some of my family a little bit to seeing kind of gay people outside of the stereotype of being like promiscuous, degenerate people. Yeah. And this was a couple who was committed to each other who were really just nice and very decent people. Yeah. That reminds me of my family as well. Um, Even growing up, I have an aunt, a great aunt, who I still, whenever I go home to Florida, I, we play golf with her and she has a partner. She's had it for 30 years and they would always be at our family functions. And I remember it was just, it wasn't even like, I knew that, that what they, I knew that they were together and they were in a same sex relationship, but it never felt weird. Now that I like think back to it, it was like, oh, that's, that's my, my two aunts. And we loved them and we hung out with them and we did all the same stuff with them. But then on Sunday, we, you know, if you're asked about it, it's, well, they're hurting themselves or they are doing something that's unnatural. But I remember as a child never even thinking anything, like thinking twice about it. And I don't know why that didn't ring a bell or didn't kind of conjure something up in my mind until I was much older. Um, I also have a, a cousin, like a very close to our family cousin, mm-hmm. who is married and lives in California, married to a, a man. And that's been really, really hard on his parents and it really kind of makes me sad to see it but i mean it's all over it's 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 all it's in our families it happens to our close friends and 
to me, finding people that are faces that are like, this is someone I very, very much care about. And we're, that's just some of my background. And, and when you talked about your family, that kind of reminded me of a few things. Yeah, I think what you're saying definitely rings true in terms of finding someone who's a face. I think that's just kind of a general truism in life and that issues are very easy to kind of ascribe like stereotypes or pejoratives or just general things that are negative or kind of dehumanizing aspects Hmm. when you aren't confronted with it with a face or when humanity is put to those issues. And so like any of those other issues, I would just say the homosexuality and LGBTQ issues, those are things that when there's a face there, it's, I've found that it's treated a lot differently and it's met a lot differently by people than when it's just talked about in more theoretical terms. Yeah, it's, I guess well said. Um, so let's kind of get into your journey um, if you're willing to be open about some of these things. I know it's private, so if there's anything that's too private, then we can we can uh, obviously not, not venture down that road. Um, but I remember when I was at your living at your house, we went to dinner, and that's when you told me. And was that, was that the first time? Yeah. You had told anybody? Yeah, that was the first time. I, th- I think I remember hearing that. And that was, what, seven years ago? Eight years ago now? Yeah, whenever it was you moved back out here. I don't remember what I year that was. moved in March of 11, so that would have been seven, about yeah, seven years. Seven years ago this March. Um, and at the time, I didn't, I know I didn't realize how big of a deal that was. Because to me, at that time, it was... Okay, so he, quote, struggles with same-sex attraction. Mm -hmm. I was still in that mode of this is something that he's struggling with and that we can get through or pray through or, quote, make him normal, which sounds terrible because I think it is. Yeah. I was still in that mindset. It was a, okay, he's just telling me, he's basically telling me that he struggles with greed or whatever, you know, those sins that we have been told are our sin and all that stuff. Um, so I remember thinking that and that's why I think I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And now looking back, I'm like, Adam, you idiot. Like this was a huge deal for him to actually admit that to somebody, let alone an older person, someone that you like trusted and confided in. I mean, that's someone you want to go to, but like, that's still a huge deal. It wasn't even a family member, like your parents or anything. It was one of your friends. And that's like, yeah, it's it's huge. Even just now, just, kind of thinking about it in those terms it's like you don't so oftentimes in life you kind of take for granted all the little steps that got you up the staircase mm-hmm. to where you are now and just looking back of like meeting you um in the middle school ministry at church and then you moving away and then moving back and living with us and just kind of developing our friendship and for whatever reason just feeling like you were the person who I wanted to come out to um, it's just kind of crazy to think about how all those little things kind of had to fall into place to get to where I am now all these years later and it's like I wonder how differently my life would have turned out had things not transpired in the exact order that they did yeah wow yeah that's that's deep stuff (laughs) Um, so Next question is going to be, when did you know? Yeah, um, I think I knew, this is kind of a hard question to answer because there's like, when it really like clicks in your mind of putting two and two together is kind of hard to say. But just looking back, I would say probably around when I was about like 12 years old, just kind of entering middle school there, uh, I would say that's pretty much when I knew, but it wasn't until maybe a couple years later, till I was maybe like 14 or 15, just entering high school, until it was something that I really, until I really self-accepted. Yeah, It was something that I had kind of pushed away or something that I didn't think about or whatever, the whole laundry list of denials. Yeah, yeah. So you'd say around 12, you said there's something that's different than what I see in other yeah. Kids growing up. Exactly. Yeah. And then it took you a few years to be like, this is what it is, kind of a thing. 
Yeah, and I mean, maybe I always knew what it was, but I just didn't want to accept it at the time. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah, so like, what does that, coming to that realization, what do you, what does that kind of do to your, I guess, your psyche, to your, I mean, because you kind of hit on a little bit where you, you, there was a lot of self-denial and things like that. Can you let, let us in on that kind of, for that, sure, what's going on in your mind there? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a difficult transition at the time. I mean, it was something that just challenged a lot of my thinking. It challenged my worldview, and it was really the first time that I had had my worldview challenged about anything. Hmm. I would say that I grew up in a very kind of insulated environment uh, in terms of kind of the people who I was around, my family, my church community, my school. It was very, it was very much a homogenous group. There wasn't much deviation from kind of the standard white middle class Christian upbringing that was very much what I was surrounded with. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. Um, well, so what was it like? What was maybe not, well, I guess the first time coming out, what was that like? And then this subsequent coming out, you know, parents, brothers and sisters, it's, close friends. Like, yeah. What was that I mean, like? it's, it's kind of horrifying. Yeah. It's, it's a horror. It's a scary thing to do going along with that. I mean, you don't, you don't know at all how someone else is going to react until they're under the gun. You can guess and you can kind of try and feel around in the dark for how someone might react to it or how they'll treat you afterwards. But Mm -hmm. until that person is also confronted with it, it's really difficult to really difficult to say. So the first time coming out, it was a really scary thing. It was really scary coming out to you. I did not know at all how you would react. I didn't know what you would say. I didn't know how I would respond to what you had said if you had said something that was maybe antagonistic or not supportive. And yeah, it's just having to find the courage and to do that. It's something that isn't just found overnight. It was a process for me. It was something that took me a lot of time of thinking over like, okay, I need to do this. I need to get the courage to do this. And it was a slow process of building myself up to that point to where I could stomach or felt like I could stomach whatever reaction it would elicit. Yeah. Wow. What was it like with your your parents? Yeah, that was, man, that was very, (laughs) that was really hard. Um, I consider myself very fortunate in the fact that I feel like I've had, uh, parents who have been supportive and who have been mostly affirming throughout all of it. But at the time it was, it was really scary because you hear the horror stories and you think about the worst that could happen and you just don't know. It's, I don't remember feeling more nervous about something in my life than to when I came out to my, I came out to my mom first and then uh, to my dad later when he came home from work that day. Wow. So all in one day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have any, maybe not from your parents, you've already mentioned that your parents were pretty supportive and they, they have been. Did you have any negatives, like any people that you're willing, not necessarily by name, but any people that have said things or have treated you differently or you just can kind of tell? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not going to throw anybody completely under the bus because I don't feel like I've had any interactions that really warrant that. But there's definitely been times where you either can feel people. It's very hard to explain. It just comes from knowing people for so long and knowing how they treat you. And then after either coming out to them or them finding out through the grapevine or whatever that you are gay you do you can notice a difference in how they treat you and sometimes it's really subtle and sometimes it's a little more uh, it's a little more kind of ostentatious and obvious yeah i one of my friends um who is gay also said that one of his friends said well i still love you i but i love you like a uh, prostitute in Las Vegas. Like I have love for them. Like yeah. I love them and I want them to be whole again, but that's how I view what you're doing. Like yeah. I, I don't hate you, but I hate what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I just found that to be 
just a really bad way of putting it. Yeah, it, that's it felt, not that's not something very like constructive or helpful at all to say to someone. I've been lucky in that I haven't had someone say that to me. I've certainly had um, some negative experiences with people in terms of how they responded when they found out, but I've been able to work through those and kind of come out better on the other side. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I, I can kind of identify what you're saying. I mean, on a very small level, because um, this isn't directly, I haven't directly experienced discrimination, but mm-hmm. I'm, I've definitely softened my stance to the point where I'm like, I don't know what the answer is to this topic when it comes to like the church and how it should be handled in the church. Like, I, I legitimately mm-hmm. don't know. I don't know if I'm going, going to know. Um, I do know that there is a lot of calls for grace and mercy and uh, things like that. So I tend to lean toward that in times of things where I and where topics that I don't know. But I think people just knowing that, knowing that I'm not in that camp where it's like it's very clear and this is wrong and these quote people need to get right with God and all that stuff. Just people knowing that I'm not in that camp anymore. I almost feel like I get some of those same looks. Yeah. Like there are people that mm-hmm. I used to interact with all the time that after we had some conversations at our church, they don't really engage me anymore. They don't come up and talk to me. If they see me, they kind of go in another direction. And I'm like, I'm literally just, I just, I don't even know. And I experience that. So I can't even imagine what it's like for someone like you or some of our other friends who have come out and who don't feel like they can go back there because of that same kind of attitude. And that sucks, to be honest. Yeah, and, and, yeah and it does. It sucks for me, and it's small. Like, it doesn't really even affect me nearly as much as someone like you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's just, uh, that's tough. Um, so while we're on that topic, um, the topic of faith, what did coming to that realization, coming out, what did that do for your faith? Yeah, well, I would just say that, first of all, my faith was definitely part of my worldview and something that really shaped it. And it was one of the first things that really did challenge my faith as well. And it was it was very difficult. Um, I didn't really know how to reconcile who I feel that I am with what I believe. And it still can be difficult sometimes, but that was really the first time where I had to sit down with myself and just question, why do I believe this? Is this something that I really do believe? And there was a time where I, the answer to that was not really. Like, I don't really think this is what I believe. I don't really think this is something that I feel is informative for my life or for who I want to be. And that was kind of a time of just general wondering where I wasn't really sure what my place was in the world. I wasn't necessarily sure of what my life was going to look like. And going along with that, I didn't really have any grounded identity or foundation in anything. Hmm. Uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. What kind of obstacles do you have you personally encountered as being a openly gay person who also attends church who would who is a christian and is very interested in being involved in the church and things like that it's really difficult knowing that people see you differently and it's not so much that people are saying things or there's anything subliminal in what they're necessarily doing but i guess i would say like people don't really look at you and they don't think of you as just being like, Oh, Adam. Well, yeah, he's the straight white tall Christian. But when people look at me, like they definitely see kind of my sexual attraction, my kind of gayness as something that reflects on my Christianity. I'm the gay Christian. I'm the Christian who is quote unquote struggling with homosexuality. And I think this is kind of also true for, Uh, other people who kind of wrestle with things that are don't really fit kind of the norm of what is like a Christian. Maybe someone who is like a single mother, 
someone who's divorced, just kind of things like things like that, where there's some sort of deviation from what is kind of taught as being like, this is what a Christian looks like. And so feeling like you don't fit that norm, while people may kind of insist that, oh, well, like, you know, I still love you the same and kind of all those platitudes, there is still some underlying, there is a difference there. Yeah, There is an underlying difference in terms of how people look at you and at times how they look at you manifests into how they treat you. Right. Yeah, the reality is, though, like those norms, quote, norms, are they're superficial at the end of the day. Because if there's one thing that I think we can all agree on in the church is that the church in general is full of broken people, just like the rest of the world is. And I, unfortunately, I had a great conversation with my mom about this the other day when she was in town. Unfortunately, people in the church have not been given the green light to be broken in public. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads to a lot of superficial behaviors and people being raised up. Oh, well, look at this person. Oh, they make a lot of money and they serve in the church and they teach and they do this. And to me, that's all so superficial because at the end of the day, we all have those things that are going on in our life. And that's been one of my biggest beefs, I guess, with the church at this point is that not not our local church. I mean, I'm talking the church in general, especially yeah. in the United States, is this idea that there is a norm. Like this is what a quote normal Christian looks like. When you look at all the examples throughout the scriptures of what our the patriarchs looked like, what all of these Bible characters looked like, was they were a bunch of messed up people who did some great stuff. And I think that really gets ignored when we start to lift up the norms. Mm-hmm. And we start to say, well, you know, this person, yeah, you know, they they might be a little greedy, but it's okay. They can they can teach. But this person, oh, he likes a guy. Wow, like that's a big deal. That's something that we have to keep him away from from yeah. the kids or <laughs> stuff like that. It's it's just like the these ideas that certain things are okay and certain things are are totally just disqualify you from any sort of work within the church is just really hurt me a lot or not hurt me, but it hurts people like you. It hurts a lot of people who who aren't. Um, in those, quote, acceptable ways of life yeah. within the church. You know what I mean? It definitely becomes a lot harder when you have baggage that gets assigned to who you are and to your faith. Yeah. Yeah, so the next question is a real humdinger. Do you think, seeing that we're talking about the church now, uh, do you think that the Bible is clear about homosexuality? <laughs> Go! Yeah, I mean, you can do a whole podcast, a whole podcast series. You could. On that. Um, Just kind of delving into, I guess, my beliefs now. Um, I would say that I don't think it's something that the Bible is particularly clear on. I think it's something that people, if you say something enough times, then it just kind of starts to get accepted as truth. Right. If it just is on repeat. And I think it's something that people have just kind of spouted for a long time, like, the Bible is very clear about this. This is something that is black and white. And it's like, okay, but how much time has actually been devoted to really delving into this? Like, I can't ever remember hearing one sermon growing up about this. Hmm. I don't ever remember hearing one discussion about it other than one that was being framed as, well, it's just black and white, or it's just something that's wrong. Yeah. And I think it's just something that people have, in a sense, been kind of lazy about, where there hasn't really been any examination of like, okay, it says, we think it says this, but is that actually what it's saying? Yeah. And Or it, has it always said that? Has, yeah. Because there's that. There's that argument. It's the... Well, it said this for 2,000 years. My Bible hasn't changed. Society has changed, and it's trying to change what Scripture says. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's, oh. I mean, that's like a really bogus argument because right. people have used that argument, like, to condemn many people throughout the generations, like Galileo or Darwin or whatever. And now their findings, we would say, are affirmed or at least accepted yeah. in great part. That, that, um, that phrase that I've heard, my Bible hasn't changed, it just, every time I hear it, it makes my skin crawl. Because I've heard people say it in all seriousness. And I think 
and in their defense, they've that's just what they've always been told. Yeah. But it's it's like some of these folks are older. Their Bible has changed in their lifetime. Mm. I mean, it's changed in our lifetime because of translations and because of yeah. different um, ways of, of exegizing and things like that. But yeah. one of the biggest things that got me asking questions was learning about the term itself, homosexuality, which didn't appear in English Bibles until the 1940s or 50s. And that, to me, I said, whoa. So there goes the whole 2000 argument, 2000 years argument. Because that means that for over 1900 years in the, the other languages, there were other terms in there for homosexuality. But in the 40s and 50s, something happened, and all of a sudden it changed. But yeah, and I mean, kind of going along with that, our understanding of homosexuality has changed quite a bit Correct. throughout those 2,000 years where it would have been thought as, as a mental illness or right. something that deserved death, depending on what year you're talking about. Our conceptualization of it is quite a, quite drastically different yeah. nowadays. And that's that's the other topic, too, is, is the cultural norms the uh, of sexuality and uh, now compared to the way they were when it was written in in Greece and in um, in the Arabian countries and things like that when the Bible and the New Testament specifically was written were totally different than they were now but we don't ever think that because for some reason we think that the way things are now either we need to go back to the way they were or they've always kind of been this way therefore why are we even having this discussion and Hearing about the terminology and how that has changed, and then also learning about some of those sexual practices that were going on during the writing of the New Testament, which most of the verses, I think there are six or seven within all of the Bible, most of those are within the New Testament. Um, Learning about some of those practices kind of blows everything open, and I think you kind of hit on it earlier. It's a very... People seem to be very lazy when it comes to this topic because it it's all there. It's all out there, and it's like ver- historically verifiable information that you can look up yourself and find that this is definitely not a black and white issue. Mm-hmm. And to me, it, it all goes down to your your herme- your hermeneutic or how you um, translate or interpret certain scriptures, and that conversation. All the tough topics always come down to the same conversation, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's gender roles, whether it's old earth versus new earth. All of these topics boil down to a a different debate. It's what do you do with scripture? You have on the extreme ends, you have the biblical literalism and you have on the other end, you have the cultural context, history and learning about author intent and what was meant by these scriptures at the time and how those can translate across time to our world and our culture and our society. To me, every single conversation that you have with someone, that's the real argument. Because with Christians, it's always, well, what does the Bible say? Well, well you just have to go back to the Bible. You have to do the Bible, blah, blah, blah. And, and fine. And that, that's fair because that's what the faith is built off of. Mm-hmm. But to me, again, and I keep saying it, there, there's a conversation behind that conversation and say, how do you treat scripture? What do you hold to be important? And for me, when it comes to the, um, the topic of homosexuality in the church, it's do you take the Bible for the literal English that you see or do you dig deep? You learn about the history. You learn about the culture. You learn about what was going on then, what the author was writing about, what they were addressing. To me, that's so much more valuable and and to me, unearths a lot of hidden meaning that we didn't see if you're just examining the literal yeah. surface. And to me, I have not, I've looked and I've tried and I've read multiple books. I've read two books by the, that have the same topic, what the Bible really says about homosexuality. And they both came to completely different conclusions, which was a fascinating thing to do. Read those books back to back. Anyway, read two of those books. Just super interesting to see how they came to different conclusions. Really liked one of them. The other one to me didn't really treat scripture the way I like it. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is that I've yet to find an argument where someone said, here's culture and here's history. And it's a non-affirming translation, essentially. Mm-hmm. No one has come. I've not, I have not read an article or a book that says, I'm going to take the historical and cultural context translation or uh, interpretation. And I'm still going to argue that homosexuality is wrong. Every single book or article I've read has always been the biblical literalism 
the plain, quote, plain English reading of the Bible, it's always come to the same conclusion. And when I read those, I instantly get turned off because I don't, to me, that isn't important. That's not how I want to handle scripture. I, I feel like I have a much higher view of scripture than simply taking the literal and dismissing everything else that's underneath. Yeah. Another thing I would kind of add on top of that is I feel like people aren't necessarily even always consistent in terms of whether they're viewing things from a completely literalist perspective or whether they're delving deeper into the scripture and trying to understand the context and maybe a little bit of a broader meaning of what is being communicated from the author. I feel like I have can think of several times where I've heard people who can really just get into great expositions into scripture and into what is being said. But then at the same time, when this topic comes up, it's just one that is really just taken at face value. Like this is just flatly what it says. And that's all that is really delved into. Yeah. The crazy part about people who will take that stance is they'll say, well, I have a very high view of scripture. So I take exactly what it says and I put it into practice. And to me, that's not a high view of practice. Or sorry, that's not a high view of scripture. To me, a high view of scripture is literally trying to dig into all of it and and completely understanding it, not just knowing, but actually digging into the understanding and the meaning. To me, that's a high view of scripture, and that's treating it the way it deserves to be treated. Because at the end of the day, it's a very complicated and very complex text that needs that kind of treatment. It's not just something that it's a children's book where you can just read it and, and okay, this is great. And we go and we move on. It's like, it's so much deeper than that. And so people who come at me, like people, maybe someone who's listening here would say, well, you're completely wrong. And here's why. If you come at me with a literalist approach to it, I'm, I'm turned off. I'm not interested in that. I'm like, that's not how I, I, I don't find that interpretation of scripture to be important. And because it's not of that, challenging. Well, it's, no, it's, it's, it's like, this is just too, I don't know. It becomes legalistic in a sense. Well, that's absolutely what it is. Not even in a sense. It's completely legalistic. But again, to me, it just doesn't treat Scripture the way it deserves to be treated. It doesn't treat it as something that is complex and holy and big. It, it To me, it feels very small. Yeah, it's a small I, reading of Scripture. Well, yeah, and people so. love to talk about like how, how big God is in terms of yeah. like our inability to comprehend or understand him and then it's like they want to take the revealed word of god and then treat it in very simple and bite-sized terms instead of this big complex revealing from god to us yeah big story it's yeah it's let's let's take it in little chunks and decide how we're going to use it in our lives instead of this huge big story one big piece it's these little chunks Mm-hmm. that don't do it very much justice. Yeah. So well, we've talked about that a lot. Let's talk a little bit. Let's kind of wrap up a little bit um, about faith, kind of talking about what your faith looks like now. What, what would you, how would you say it looks now? Yeah. Earlier I talked about how really I went into kind of a dark time in terms of my spirituality and my walk. And I would thankfully say that it was something that I was able to emerge from really just kind of through my friendship with you and through uh, two of our other friends, um, Adam, other Adam, and uh, Wes, who have really just been instrumental in kind of my faith and walking alongside me. And at this point, like, I would definitely say that my faith is in a very healthy place where I feel like I am desire not only just desiring God, but I feel like I am actively, like, trying to walk in the example of Christ and trying to really really mold my life to what I believe kind of the overarching theme of scripture mm-hmm. is about and to trying to conform myself to what I believe scripture reveals a Christian to be yeah. and yeah it's like I really find myself more and more wanting to kind of serve and help people who are poor, people who are oppressed and really wanting to try and give them an advocate and to show them God's love. You would say before when you were struggling, quote, with 
this that, that isn't how you felt. You would say that you had a lot of questions and you were really struggling in your faith, right? Yeah, I would say that my faith was very much inside a box where I wasn't, I didn't have the tools to really even unpack it either. I would say I was really just kind of stuck in a place of not not being able to know where I stood until I was able to answer these questions. Yeah. Just because of the implications of the different answers. So, if you could say one thing to the local body of believers, whether it be your church or the American church in general, what do you think that would be about yourself or about the LGBT community in general? I think I would just tell the church to just stop talking for a minute and to start listening. Hmm. And I think that myself and a lot of other people, like we have stories and we have we have journeys and we have walks and we want to be heard we want to feel like we are valued we want to feel like we are heard we don't want to feel like we're kind of being dictated to of well this is your place like this is where you can be this is where you cannot be this is what you can do this is what you can't do it's not really a relationship um the relationship being between the church and the um LGBTQ community. It's not one that is really two ways. It's one where it's one side dictating, like, if you want to be a part of this, then these are the rules of which you need to abide. And I think that that's just such a huge stumbling block in terms of the church's ability to be able to reach out to people uh, who are gay or who are queer, who are transgender or really just even kind of anybody who doesn't fit the norm like we were talking about. Like, I don't think it's something that's necessarily exclusive to the LGBTQ community. I think it applies to, I think it applies to a lot of other people as well. Hmm. And I just think kind of in general, and I would say this applies to me as well. Like, I just think Christians need to do a better job of listening to people and to trying to understand people Hmm. instead of just trying to always it's almost like people kind of have have like a cookbook for how faith works it's like okay you're this let me flip to this section and here's your here's your recipe here's your solution right it's not really a relationship it's just a it's just a reference Hmm. it's just a reference guide yeah or you just mentioned talking about the trans community there was something that i kind of wanted to get into a little bit here because um i I personally don't know anyone who is transgender. I guess I just have a lot of questions about the trans community in general, but you know, can you give me a little bit of your thoughts on the community and and kind of you know, where they are amongst the LGBTQ community? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the marginalization of transgender people is exclusive to just kind of the norm like straight cis male ruled world that we live in. I think that there's a lot of even marginalization of trans people. Uh, by gay and lesbian and bisexual people. Um, I know even among like feminists and feminism that there is just kind of this sizable sect who do not include trans women who maintain that like trans women are not actual women. And it's, I find that to be not only just extremely like toxic and transphobic, but it's just a, example of how there is marginalization within the marginalized and that just because you may belong to a community that is marginalized by society that doesn't mean that you also are not marginalizing people as well and there is definitely a lot of marginalization with it within the lgbtq community not only of transgender people but also, I would say there's kind of a sizable problem with racism, and I think the gay issues tend to be very white-centered, not only in face, but in presentation. Hmm. Um, I would say there's definitely a representation problem in terms of race, and definitely I just kind of even, I don't want to go too deep on it just because it's something that could go on forever, but definitely in terms of like uh, even fetishization of like black men within the gay community 
and marginalization of them like that's a huge huge issue hmm. and also uh, with bisexual people there can definitely be kind of a awkward middle area between where obviously straight people have prejudice against them some straight people I should say I'm not speaking for all straight people but there can definitely be a heteronormative um, kind of prejudice against them as like well you just are like you're just like not really sure of what you want or you're just kind of you're just kind of confused. And there's also kind of some equal suspicion from the gay community sometimes to where they can see them as being like not necessarily trustworthy or whatever. Like there's definitely stereotypes and prejudices that get espoused upon bisexual people by some gays and lesbians. Yeah. Getting back to the trans uh, folks, people, how do you think the church treats the trans people? community we've kind of talked about a little bit already with 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 gay christians and things like that but how do you think it it affects the trans community yeah like uh that's i mean if things i I would say things are not good in terms of um how the church relates to gay people i would say it's even worse in terms of how they treat people who are transgender uh who um do not conform to like what people's presumptions are of gender identity and how that is expressed. Yeah. I think there's definitely a lot to be desired in that department, not only of just how they treat transgender people in general, but how gender roles and how gender as a whole is treated within the church. But among transgender people, it's certainly not, not good in terms of the, I would say the discussion and the perception around it. Yeah, the discussion to me is just so full of disinformation when it comes to the trans community. Um, yeah. I, I sat in a in a discussion on this, and even among some of the more conservative people, they were they were saying, like we know, like oh, some of the folks were saying, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and then the other people who aren't even liberal or whatever you want to call them we're like yeah i know it says that but we've also learned a lot more about this and we know a lot more about this than when this was written and that's not to discredit the bible or anything like that it just seems like there's like this weird science denialism and that's another topic which we will discuss at some point on the evolving Adam podcast uh but it seems in this specific place science denialism is just rampant Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the trans or intersex or things like that. I remember... And there's so much fear, like just so much fear-mongering right. around it too. Like you see it kind of manifested politically like with these insane quote-unquote bathroom bills as they're oh, called. Right. But it's just like, it's just really disgusting, the treatment of transgender people. Right, the the fear of things that, n- that never happen. Like, well, this one guy can say, well, I'm a woman, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do this to your daughter. It's like literally no one is doing that that's not happening and that kind of fear-based stuff is just so rampant and it's not just in the secular world it's it's within the the church itself um i just i remember this this conversation i had with a leader um in our church because they had learned that a group of people that i that i hang out with and stuff like that had some issues with the way that uh this topic was being litigated, I guess, amongst the church, if that's the right way to say it. Um, ba- basically, what happened is our church decided they were going to they were going to codify their beliefs on um, biological male and female and one man and one woman marriage uh, language. And there were a lot of people who thought that that was doesn't didn't need to happen. And a group of people that I hang out with and am a part of also they disagreed. They said this is not something that should be going in and there's a lot of stuff that we need to talk about so that we don't get this wrong. And um, so they asked me, you know, hey, what was the problem? And I said, well, one of the issues I saw was the trans language and how they said, well, well, God makes only male and only female. And that was one of the sticky points that even some of the conservative people were like, 
that's we we know better than that like we know that that's not actually true at all and yeah, this, that's verifiably false like, like we, that is not we have scientifically proven that that's not how it always happens now sure is that how it is that how that was really designed it could be but we're learning through all these different discoveries that it doesn't always happen that way and i remember i i mentioned that to this person i said well yeah well that's like one in 10 million people are born that way so we don't feel like that need that that's an issue we're ever going to have to deal with like if the one in 10 million walks into our building then we'll have to deal with it and that that number seemed so outrageous to me because i'm like i feel like that number is a lot bigger that number just felt very off that's like 30 people in the u.s if you think about it it's like, yeah it's literally 30 people in the united states i'm like that seems like there's some misinformation there and and i looked it up um on the uh I looked it up on the internet, and the went, internet always tried to find always. a reputable source. But right now, we know that. Uh, let me let me just read this to you. If you ask experts at medical centers how often a child is born so noticeably atypical in terms of genitalia that a specialist in sex differentiation is called in, the number comes out to one in fifteen hundred to one in two thousand births. Mm-hmm. One in so let's say it's one in two thousand. That that means that there is at least somebody at our church of 500 who has visited in the last decade at mm-hmm. least there's at least it could be more it could be four or five or six yeah. that have visited our church in the last decade so this whole idea of one in 10 million is just like so demonstrably false and all you have to do is just look it up yeah like it's out just there. a simple google search it goes back to the, the lazy interpretation of just kind of regurgitating things you've heard over and over and over again Mm-hmm. And when I when I learned that I was like, holy cow, this is way more complex than we're giving it giving the time for. So, oh, of course. Um, anyway, that that's I, I just I didn't really know what to say. I said, well, that seems a little bit off, but you know, there's those people that no matter what you say, they're probably not gonna listen to what you have to say because you're they're not really asking to like, hear an right. answer. They're kind of asking just to either argue or to just confirm right whatever it is they already believe right so all right just kind of wrapping up then um this this question might seem kind of silly not this make this question may seem uh crazy right now but what progress do you see in america concerning the lgbt community i know that on the surface it can seem like right now we've taken a step back in the last couple of years but Let's try to frame framing it positively. I know that there has been progress amongst the LGBT community. What what have you seen, and what would be your opinion of that? that yeah, idea? looking at the larger picture, there's it's undeniable that there has been a large amount of progress made over the past, not even like twenty years, but even a past the past like five ten years. There's been a lot of progress made, and. Just kind of generally speaking, like it is, it is kind of a game of give and take. And you look at really any struggle for acceptance over the years, and that's kind of always been the case. There's always kind of progress made, and then there's a backlash to it, and then progress made and backlash to it, and back and forth. But I think that the arc generally bends towards one of justice and towards marginalized people being able to be liberated in a sense Mm. but right now we definitely do seem to be kind of in that take in the give and take and it's kind of hard to see that um it's dispiriting at times but it you do just have to look at the overall picture and see how far we've come and all the progress that has been made but you can't be complacent in that because it is still something that is very much active and alive and something that has to continually be fought and advocated for. Right. So then what would you like to see next? What do you think is the next step? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough to say. There's the Baker case before the Supreme Court, Mm. the Cake Baker case, that is. Um, That is just kind of something that I'm watching with bated breath because I think that could have some very major implications in terms of what, how um, LGBTQ people can be treated um, by private businesses. I think, I think there's a lot of implications of, for the LGBTQ community in that case, obviously. And in terms of uh, 
protections and laws and stuff like that. Um, it kind of remains to be seen until that case is decided and whatever the decision is. Um, but obviously, I would like to see more kind of general, not only just general acceptance by society, but definitely more protections. Like we live in a state where you can still be fired for your sexual orientation. You can be denied housing. You can be denied all sorts of things for your sexual orientation. So I obviously would love to see more kind of protections and more equality under the law. And beyond that, looking at the church, I would like to see there being a more diverse dialogue and an actual dialogue. Right. Not just this one way, take it or leave it type of thing. Yeah, I totally forgot about the the Baker case. That's a that's a, a really big one. Um, yeah, and you're right; it has a lot of implications. I mean, we can do an entire episode on that one case, or the multiple cases that have been decided lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Um, that's a big one for sure. Lastly, do you have any? Recommended authors, Twitter, people you follow on Twitter, for people who are looking for another perspective, people who are kind of on the fence and aren't really sure, or people who just want to be kind of challenged and informed on on some of these beliefs. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I can't remember who the author was for, you mentioned earlier two books that you read. I had read one of the same books as you, and I forget the author for that. I'll let you look that up while I uh, go off on this, but just kind of some just kind of some faith-based authors who I have found kind of interesting in reading uh, some of their stuff is um, like, I know that we talk about maybe not on here, but in real life, we talk about Rob Bell of a decent amount. And yeah. um, he's definitely had some very interesting and kind of provocative thoughts for me, not only on this issue, but just kind of in my approach towards faith as a whole just kind of some other people. Matthew Vines, I know, has a book that a lot of people seem to find very powerful. Um, Rachel Held Evans, um, she's an evangelical blogger, and she has kind of a very long and interesting journey in grappling with this issue and kind of her coming to an affirming standpoint. Jen Hatmaker, she's someone who recently changed her view on it. I think these people have some very interesting perspectives in terms of people who aren't like necessarily gay or part of kind of the queer community in general but who people have been able to challenge their beliefs and who have come to a different way of thinking about it yeah yeah the book uh what the bible really says about homosexuality is by daniel helminiak that was the one that I enjoyed. That was the one that took the historical cultural approach. Mm-hmm. The one uh, that took the more literalist approach was by a guy named Kevin DeYoung, who's a popular Christian author. He took, again, the more traditional um, literalist approach, which, again, I, I we've talked about already. I, I didn't really – I don't really hold a lot of value in that. Um, the Helminiac book, to me, explained a lot of stuff about culture and context and about the original writings and thinking the original languages – Things like that that, I, that I'm really, really fascinated by, and to me, created a much stronger argument. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend reading that one for sure by, uh, by Dr. Helminiak. Yeah, that was uh, definitely kind of a formative read for me yeah. as well. That was really something that kind of helped me yeah. in my time of searching. I need to get that book back. I don't know who has it. Yeah. Someone's got it. I need to find it. If you're listening and you have the book, return it. Give it back to me, please. Um, anything else? No, I think that's pretty much all for all right. now, anyway. Until you have me on for, hopefully, the first third time guest. Oh, third time. Yeah. Third time's a charm. Friend of the podcast. Yes. All right, well, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Kelvin. Um, again, just a, really, really happy to have him in my life. Somebody that's just really, really been a great friend to me and a big challenge in my worldview and in my, my beliefs and, and all that stuff. And also just a generally nice and funny guy. Don't tell him I said that. Again, if you guys want to check us out on Twitter, at uh, EvolvingAdamPod is the Twitter handle. And as always, on Patreon, patreon.com slash EvolvingAdam. That would be just an amazing way for you to support 
us and what we do here and uh, just make the podcast better. And I want to give a quick shout to my buddy AT, who's settling in in Cambodia right now. He's a guy that I definitely, definitely have to have on this podcast uh, once he and his wife and, and son come back to the U.S. or maybe I can go there and, and do a podcast from Cambodia. That'd be amazing. But just want to give a shout out to him and uh, just really appreciate him listening and giving me feedback on the podcast. But that's about it. Uh, again, just thank you guys so much for listening. And it just really means a whole lot to me and, and that you guys are willing to take the time to hear what I have to say and kind of ramble my way through this thing. But again, just thank you and just really appreciate uh, all you guys out there. My name is Adam and I'm evolving. And I hope that you're evolving too.